0: Welcome to Regulars Anonymous. With host, Zachary Landry. Sitting down with the people who are standing in line behind you at the grocery store. And hearing what they have to say. I was once
1: asked to do the testing before I began an interview. It was with NBC. NBC. Instead of counting, I actually recited a poem. (laughs) The crew were just looking around. This one's a little different. (laughs) Yeah, But it worked because the producer liked uh, the sea and it was all about a mermaid.
0: Was it a poem you wrote? No. 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 What was the poem?
1: Um, Beware, young sailor of high wind and water. For the sea has a secret, the sea has a daughter. She'll swim along starboard and capture your heart. And with a flip of her tail fin, deep waters depart. See? <laughs> 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 and they said, you could go one, two, three, four, <laughs> <to> ten. <and laughs> no,
0: thank you.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: Yeah, it worked. The producer and I became friends after that. So, yeah. Okay.
0: I see you brought the tarot deck out.
1: I did. Um, there's a few of them in my world. Um, but if we're going to talk about the tarot, I should say that uh, sometimes I'm a little bit of a disappointment for some people because I'm not very new age-like. Um, but how so? Well, I <laughs> what are people's expectations? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I think people would, would like it if I read the cards more often and and yeah, just fulfilled the kind of role. Um, and I have a great respect for the tarot, um, but my interest in it as a youngster was artistically because of the images and the history behind it um so as i say i have a great respect for it and and <laughs> i can read the cards but i did my first deck when i was 21 and it came out and it did well and the publisher had me reading for all kinds of people right? wow, editors yeah,
0: that, was, that was the part of the gig
1: yes <laughs> editors of magazines and things like that and uh and sometimes booksellers like at publishers conventions and things like that and when i say reading i'm i mean one after another like there'd be lineups i think like one weekend i read for well over 200 people
0: like, <laughs> oh yeah the, who wouldn't who wouldn't want to get their cards read by the person who designed the deck and it's you fun. you must know better than anyone y-
1: yeah, and it's fun, although i d- I did ask them not to take it too seriously in that don't make any major decisions based on these readings because <laughs> this is this is, <laughs> this is you know some sample layouts um but it is fun, and a lot of good can actually come from a tarot reading I like can in, in those days in that atmosphere too at a convention of publishers. Uh, you would get people that were there, you know, and had ideas for their own books or film, sometimes music too. They they all sort of overlapped at those publishers' conventions, um, different kinds of talent. Even Bill Murray once. Bill Murray helped me out in the cafeteria.
0: Did you read his cards?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been fun, yeah. actually. <laughs> I should have offered. Yeah, I didn't think of it. Actually, he was ahead of me in the lineup and he helped me with my cup of tea. I was struggling with my cup of tea. And he turned and he helped me. And then I looked up to thank him and realized who it was and he winked at me. He, he was,
2: he was just,
1: and he was tall and handsome, actually. And he was in a nice navy blue suit. Yeah, just, yeah, it was kind of a surprise. Anyway, so all kinds of people at the publishers' conventions. But where the tarot could help, because I saw this happen a few times, um, even though they were just quick little layouts, sometimes it gave people confidence to actually walk over to the other side of the hall and make their proposal to a publishing house or perhaps somebody else they wanted to collaborate with, and things like that.
0: So gave that little push.
1: It did. Yep. And I think that's, well, one of the best things that can come from a tarot reading, even if you don't necessarily believe the person reading has any psychic ability. And I don't claim any psychic ability. I'm, I tend to be intuitive, in the old sense of the word. <laughs> but I, yeah, I don't, I don't claim any great psychic sense. Um, but sometimes that's all people need is, is just that, that little bit of air under their wings, right? And the tarot can do that. Um, when I was a youngster, I mean, a kid, youngster, um, and there wasn't a lot of encouragement. Uh, it it wasn't like today.
0: (laughs) Okay. And for art in general?
1: For art or or just kids in general. Yeah. General
0: encouragement. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah.
1: There's your parents and we're the peons. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there is no
0: <laughs> Stop having fun. Yeah. No nurturing or <laughs> yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. no, we
1: lived on a farm.
0: <laughs> Get back to work.
1: Right. You work, you're up early out there in the cold and all that kind of thing. Um which I'm grateful for too, because it certainly gave me a discipline,
2: right? Mm-hmm.
1: But not the nurturing environments that I see today for kids. Right? <laughs> it was always why you couldn't do so, do something.
0: Do you think it's almost gone too far the other way now? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah,
1: I'm afraid so.
0: Ah, uh, gotta bring so that farm a, life back.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and also, here's, here's I don't know if you want to edit this out or not, but. Um, I'm an artist and book illustrator, and, and I write as well. Um, but I used to, you know, people want to show me the drawings of their nephew-niece or whatever, and I'd enjoy seeing things. Nowadays, it's like expected that that I will look over everything and, and that I will... I do try and find something positive to say, absolutely, right? Um, but really, I mean, crumbs... like even (laughs) even yeah even the adults right they're showing me things out of a coloring book and i i really don't know quite how to bridge
0: that Mm -hmm. to what you do
1: yeah or in any kind of mm, visionary artist Mm -hmm. right um like the visionary artists we at my best, I can be that, and I can I can do portraits and things. That's not really my forte. But to uh, bring something into this world that's not been seen before, right? Like we paint what cannot be seen. That's mm-hmm. what I like about the visionary arts, right? They're, they're things – I mean, I, I draw wolves, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love wolves. But – I think it's a thrill when you you can bring history to life or otherworldly images. Um, so a coloring book, just I just really don't know what to say. Then mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was a kid, it was Doodle Art. You remember those posters, right? the black velvet posters? You're too young for that. Black velvet posters, brightly colored things. They're fun, but it's it's hard to bridge that sometimes. Um,
0: See, and I'm colorblind, so even if I showed you my uh, coloring books, you'd be embarrassed.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, that's interesting, because my brother's colorblind, and my grandfather was,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I recently had eye test, and the optician had me do um, the color tests again, which has happened before. Right? they like me to flip through those. And this is what she told me. It's hard to know because I only have my eyes. But she said sometimes the women in the family will have like a superpower vision where the men have the deficit. Oh. She said, you're seeing subtleties that I'm not. And I thought, whoa, so my paintings don't look the same So <laughs> to there, you. There's a <laughs> biological
0: reason yeah, tied to, to what that you do.
1: Yeah, apparently. Apparently so. so. Yeah.
0: Now, there's something that I came across that I really liked. Is it what, mystic realism? Mystic, yes. Mystical realism? Is that how you would describe what you're trying to bring yes. through? Yes.
1: That's, that's a nice term. I think also for writing mm-hmm. as well. I mean, the books that I've written in the past are um, retellings of history and mythology. But for the last few years, probably five years, um, I've been working on fiction for the first time a novel set in the 1300s but I like to think of it as mystic realism because it's it's got a historical setting before the first or just after the first wave of black death in Britain and I chose that time period because people at that time were seeing things and seeing things in the environment death plowing the field you know their minds were rubbed raw with trauma so that there, there was all this phantasmagoric world that seemed to be living alongside them or overlaid on them so that's what I'm doing with this book right there's there's two characters that can see mm, these sort of phantom-like creatures I call them the shim which is a real word from the medieval forest that I come from. And it means something close to death or on the other side of death, right? It's, it's shadowy shim. And only my heroine and a neighboring ploughman can see and hear these figures that are influencing them. They're like forces of nature. So allegories, allegorical characters, mercy, compassion, um... Common sense, faith. Like, common sense cannot stand the company of faith, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she drives him crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you can have these kind of debates, right, with them. Um, it's really lively. I thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, the shame I have had to limit them because they steal the stage. So, I've had to limit them to times of in between like twilights and things like that but yeah sloth he's another one he's a lot of fun too he knows a lot of stories and he hangs around in the slack waters in a boat
0: just telling stories <laughs> 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 it, the, the shim come from a mythical forest that you're from
1: well the word the, the, shim, the okay yeah um I was very lucky when I started this book in that things seemed to drop into my world. I mean, Carl Jung would talk about synchronicity and those coincidences and that kind of magnetic energy that happens when you really commit to something big and risky like this. And so I had created the shim and then I was reading these old dusty books from this forest that I come from. It's a real forest. It's called the new forest, even though it's,
0: old. It's well (laughs) over that's how old it is. (laughs) It's the new one.
1: Over a thousand years. it had its anniversary recently. So so there's beautiful old trees that that are still there and and the commoners, the forest law and forest justice and all this sort of thing. Um it has a history that is to me is fascinating. Anyway, I was reading old dusty books. And uh, I came across the word shim, that the old forest people would use this word, and it was wasn't exactly ghosts. And like I say, it's translated as almost like a shade, I suppose. So perfect,
0: Shade right. Figure maybe, or... uh, yeah, your
1: like person. like a hmm, something that's almost too quick for your eye, right? right? You you that kind of thing, and shouldn't give too much away about my book (laughs) I'm giving all these stories away but um in my book i've as i say i've used them as allegorical characters too so we can have these debates between faith who for example when she takes to the battlefield she wears no armor Mm. right she's just just, and then common sense he's really handy actually (laughs) as a character (laughs) hope which is a complicated subject, right? Like hope. I mean, when I was younger, you used to think of it as, as a positive thing, but as one matures, you can see that some people have been prisoners of hope. Uh, I have a couple of times in my life. So yeah, using her that way, um, her character and the conversations, right? Like hope scratches at the door of my heroine. My heroine doesn't want to let her in.
0: She's wise, then. Yeah, yep. (laughs)
1: And and my hope gets really into it, like scratching like a dog. (laughs) Can't come in. Anyway, so mystic realism. Sorry, I got off track there. But yeah, if like the story is told, it's a love story, but it's far more than that. But it's it's told and it's it is close to the land. I my heroine is is a field woman and she's a lay person and i i want that i wanted that real organic close to the ground no nonsense kind of farmer attitude alongside the shim so yeah it's it's been a lot of fun it's the taro certainly is or should be (laughs) visionary art right Mm. um but there are traditional images in the tarot, um, so unlike Stoker, the book I've been working on, where I can go wherever I like, the tarot you have to work within the bounds of tradition. Hmm. So it would be like, you know, other art forms, music, jazz. You, you yeah. know, you can do what you like, but there's bounds. It will
0: be classified as this.
1: Yes, and yeah. there's certain certain bounds and limitations that you honour. Given its history and tradition. So the Taro, the oldest decks we have date from like the 14th century, 1400s, I should say, 1400s. And in those days, it was only the very wealthy families that had them, that could afford them to be painted for them. So So they would have
0: been one offs.
1: That's right. And I think the oldest deck is the Visconti-Sforza deck um, from Italy. Um, but as far as the actual origins of the taro, there's still debates on that. But they were used for a game, tarocchi, the Italian game of tarocchi. And then, forgive my pronunciation on that. <laughs> and then in the 1800s, the gypsies, the Romani, Began to use them as fortune-telling device because they mm-hmm. <laughs> their ingenuity, right?
0: So another way to pass the time,
1: exactly. You make a little bit of money, yeah. you know. Cross my palm with silver, and I'll tell you your fortune. Um, but before that, like I say, they had they had another life. Some say that they were used as meditative tools because they have archetypal characters in them, right? The the fool the magician all the way through. Um, the royal road to the subconscious is what Jung used to call it. Um,
0: but That's what Jung called the tarot?
1: hmm yeah, I hope I've got that right. Many poets, musicians, artists, all sort of orbit the tarot, they're like satellites because there's a beauty in them I know most people think of them as the fortune-telling cards, and they are that and can be useful, as I said earlier. But for me, when I first began loving the tarot, learning about them, it introduced me to so many other different belief systems, like I say, different poets. Um, It gave a framework for thinking about life that I didn't actually have before. Um i don't come from a religious home i suppose those raised that way would you know have their religion as a framework um but for me the taro brought a depth and an understanding it opened doors Um, and i i fell in love with the imagery Right, the Mm -hmm. idea that uh, these images have been the same for hundreds of years and each artist Things have changed a bit in modern age, but each artist that did them would honour those traditions, right? So um, I'll try and think of example here. Uh, the magician uh, he would always have tools in front, whether it's a table. Um, the emperor sits in a specific position. The hanged man, of course. And the Devil card, which is often used in movies and so forth. But um, earlier that was more like the Horned God, God of the Hunt. So Wheel of Fortune. I mean, we all ride the Wheel of Fortune. That's another card. Um, and there's 22 of the Major Arcana. And they're the heavy parapet cards that I'm talking about now, like Wheel of Fortune, the Moon card, the Sun Um, And when you're actually reading them, they're considered fate cards, whereas the remaining cards, the minor arcana, (laughs) 50-some, 52, 56, I can't remember anymore, (laughs) Um, they're considered everyday things, mundane things within our control. But a a card reading for that reason can open up different avenues of thought that you may not have uh, clued into yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you think I would remember these things, but I did, as I say, my first tarot deck when I was twenty one. And then I did a second in my thirties because the publisher had been courting me for years trying to get me to do a second one. So I did yeah, I did a, a second. So I've traveled that road twice. Ooh, that's seventy eight paintings each deck. <laughs> and then because
0: and what size would you do the painting that
1: uh, the originals were about f- 6 by 9 and then I met some of the images I have done larger the priestess card for example I did do larger because I wanted to paint this woman goddess that grew out of the landscape so she's she's covered in moss and on one side, she's young and fertile, and in, in shadow, she's more crone like with ivy and things. So, yeah,
0: because you the, the amount of details in, in your paintings is honestly kind of astounding. <laughs> oh, well,
1: thank you. I well, I try,
0: they're almost overwhelming to look at.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, they can. But well, what I try to do, I mean, sometimes when people. I think detailed. Um, things can be too detailed. And, and this is actually Robert Bateman. I remember hearing him talk, right, the wildlife artist. And you can see he was frustrated, because and, and, people say to him, "You know, his paintings are detailed." And he wanted to point out that you know, there are negative spaces in that painting that make it harmonious right mm-hmm. much like music like if i if i put too much in in a small space
0: it gets clustered exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah. it's it's busy and you're lost right and the same can happen to the eye for sure they are so similar just like a symphony you know, you want open spaces and swift graceful movements and then moments of drama and in and out in and out right and that's what a painting's like so yeah, I do draw more detail in than most people do with watercolour. Um, but that's, I, I, I loved classical watercolour growing up. Um, my library at school didn't have a lot of it. <laughs> but what I did come across, I treasured. Um, so, yeah, it's nice, I think, too, to have the realism in a painting, And an otherworldly atmosphere.
2: Mm.
1: Like some people say to me, oh, you paint fairies. I've actually only painted one. (laughs) I've done probably (laughs) ten battle scenes, but everybody will remember the fairies. And the fairy. um, It's just kind of a breath, an otherworldly breath into the painting. Not, Not sword and sorcery. Not truly fantasy either. Right, Like he, your term, mystic realism, I do like that very much.
0: That's your term. Well, well.
1: I think a few have used it. <laughs> 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 Margaret Atwood's used it too. Ladies, it, that balance I like, right? I don't like full-on, well, I shouldn't say I don't like full-on fantasy. I do, <laughs> but, but for me, I like it when it overlaps. Borderland, right? where you, you just find in your feet where things are possible but you're still anchored you're still tethered mm-hmm. and that's why i like the tarot too i mean they're similar in that the, the tarot is like looking at your life but through a poetic lens okay. so there's truth in there it's just
0: poetic were you yeah. ever approached by this might sound silly but magic the gathering
1: Yes, I think I was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> not, not an out-to-lunch question, then.
1: Yeah, I think so. Were they the ones that were based in Seattle? I believe so. Yeah. Then I, when I was young.
0: i have to yeah. double-check that, but that sounds accurate.
1: Yeah. The, mm, I'm trying to think of the name of those cards. Because, as I say, I was 21 when I did my first... Uh, tarot deck and book, wrote the book that goes with it, that's based on the King Arthur legends. And its so there's history and mythology, uh, romances, the grail quest, heroic legend, all kinds of things, um, all kinds of animals in that barn, lots of branches to the tree. And so the magic card people, yeah, they did approach me at one of the Publishers' conventions, I think, but I don't actually do things um, on commission, for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, Since I write as well, uh, royalties are the way that I like to go. So yeah, Yeah. so it was a little bit outside the realm, but
0: yeah. But I can understand why they would approach you. It's uh, that's what they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think I might have been a little, mm, mine is a classical watercolor, and it might have lacked a little bit of the punch that they wanted. But yeah, they mm. they they <laughs> came my way, <laughs> which was nice of them. But yeah, I didn't I didn't really suit. But yeah, okay, so. It's a bit odd that you would have uh, somebody writing and painting medieval, British, Celtic, medieval things on the Canadian prairies. But what happened was...
0: Should we ha- okay. tell us, uh, how'd you wind up here? Right, yes. Do you want to tell that first? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's, it's, a good, it's a good
2: story.
1: Uh, my dad... Uh, was quite a character. Um, some would say a dreamer, um, but he, but he did chase what what interested him. Right? Uh, he used to race cars in England when I was a kid, um, Formula One, and then I think it was Wrangler was a sponsor at one of these races, and they gave him a horse blanket. <laughs> oh no (laughs) I know (laughs) so the horse blanket then led to quarter horses which led to my dad shifting from folk music because he and his brothers used to play the folk clubs in England in in the early 70s right so you see it I suppose in some ways in my dad Um, he died when I was 10 but he was certainly one that followed his own he walked to the beat of his own drummer. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so the horse blanket led to quarter horses, which led to country music, which for me was kind of a <laughs> kind of a <laughs> let down because I love these old spooky old ballads, right? <laughs> like I <laughs> know cowboy Cowboy music was kind of new to me. I dragged my heels a bit on that. Um, (laughs) But then that led to, of course, the Calgary Stampede. My dad's interest in country music, quarter horses. And so in the mid-70s, my dad brought the family here to Calgary because of the Calgary Stampede. Didn't know anybody here. So my dad came about six weeks ahead of us landed in calgary uh like nine o'clock at night (laughs) in march or february end of february so he asked the taxi driver to take him to somewhere that had live music because my dad thought well make friends with the musicians right so that's exactly what happened the taxi driver took him to a rough hotel at the time quite notorious um Dad went in, he saw a fella drinking a Molson Canadian, and he so desperately wanted to be Canadian. My dad. (laughs) It was kind of sad because he really looked the part when he had a cowboy hat on, but when he opened his
0: mouth, like it was just. (laughs) Everything just fell apart. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) He worked really hard to lose that English accent. And I was the opposite.
2: Oh, God.
1: I, I just couldn't believe I'd been uprooted, and here I was. <laughs> but, so so, Dad did make friends with the band, and they took him home to the duplex <laughs> in a rough part of town. And then when we arrived later, my mother, my younger brother, and I, we went to live with the band in the duplex, and it was quite the culture shock, I I must say, like <laughs> the band were great. <laughs> but honestly, I had this is true, I had not heard the F word. I did not know the F word. That's how sheltered in a way my life had been in England. Like we had our, our school uniforms and and it was a very different world. <laughs> 16th ab kind of thing. Um, but now I forgot. About, oh, so dad, yes. Yeah, so dad so desperately wanted me to be a cowgirl too. And all oh, crumbs, I loathed it. But first day here, we had to go and get the little vinyl, brightly colored cowboy boots because it's the 70s. And I had to wear the straw hat. My brother was okay with it But he was four Yeah yeah he was okay with anything (laughs) Oh my god And I remember there was a ribbon put on my cowboy hat To try and entice me to wear the thing Dad was full on Committed (laughs) It was was like So they bought a quarter section out in the middle of nowhere Nothing on it There was a power line not too far away (laughs) And dad wanted to do everything the old pioneering way, too. He was he was Scottish, so he was kind of a hard nut as well. <laughs> yeah. We worked hard. My brother and I, even at that age, you know, we had to help dig the ditches for the sewer, which I can't remember. I think it was like six foot. And then the water had to be 14 foot. Oh, my little brother and I would help. Anyway... That's how life unfolded for us here. Uh, uh, need to get some quarter horses, so we live the cowboy life for a while. That's not too long, though. And of course, race car driver out in the middle of nowhere here in Alberta is not really a skill no. <laughs> that's needed, no. although it was fun for us because fun for us was just racing around with my dad. <laughs> In the fields, um, but anyway, t- tragedy hit the family um, a couple of times, and this is not something I normally talk about. But I want to I want to bring it up because uh, it's kind of unusual, and for those people out there that may want to do something in life that they've not seen around them in their own world like they don't know people um you know that necessarily wanted to work in film or music write paint all these sorts of things um as i say my dad was brave i suppose when i look back in the things that he, that he followed um and for me after his death and some other tumult uh I actually ended up in a foster home when I was, I think I was thirteen. The first time I went into a foster home, and then I was taken back home, which was actually dangerous place mm-hmm. for me. So, unlike some people, the outside world for me was always safer mm-hmm. than home. Um, And it did give me some grit. Like, I I don't want to romanticize the arts in in saying one has to suffer for an art. I don't believe that. But to have the chutzpah. Tenacity. Yep. The the bravery to defy what other people think your life should be. uh, All those things that you're tested on to do what you love. um, Partly for me because I'd seen a lot at a young age, not much scared me. Um, but also, I understood early on that uh, I had to be really good at something or it'd be nothing at all, right? Mm-hmm. Like for me, I knew, because I, I did drudgery jobs, Early on, like I went to work before I even had a social insurance number,
0: whether you had a say in it or not
1: <laughs> that's right that too yeah. so um i yeah i learned I learned things early on, and I didn't have much to lose, quite frankly i but I knew I had to be really good or I would be working in a laundrette or something like that, which is fine, <laughs> but I did those jobs too, uh but I knew I wanted Mm.
0: something. Would you say there was something pushing you inside?
1: Yes. The the love that I had of history and old legends and certainly where I come from in England had something to do with it, that medieval forest, Um, and even my grandmother's house, uh, you know, it was an old, old house with stained glass windows and stone walls, and yeah, really s- spooky, like actually. Um, but yeah, when I was young, I'd say 13, 14, life was, was really unpredictable and tough. And I remember I was once out babysitting, which was rare. I wasn't allowed out much. We lived in the middle of nowhere. I could go six months without going to town. Life was strange. Anyway, I was babysitting. And so it was one of these rare moments where I actually had peace. Right? I was in this house, the kids had gone to bed and there wasn't any danger. And I remember just sort of sliding down the wall onto the carpet And I suppose you could call it a prayer, although I didn't think of it that way at the time. Um, But I needed the stories and the history and the atmosphere of the things I loved. I was, in a strange way, although it wasn't put into words, wanted that world to seep into my mind and be like an insulation to the environment I was actually in, right, like like a firewall, mm. <laughs> safety. Um, I remember that moment, uh, and that's actually how things seemed to unfold later. I mean, I was in the foster home for a year or so, where I worked for my keep, and it was <laughs> it was better than at home. But as with most foster homes, there's issues that come with that too. <laughs> Um, but also at that time the foster mother I had she loved books and even though I didn't have the run of the house I would see books you know sitting on on side tables and things like that so through her I was exposed in some ways to um, more than I more than the average kid in a prairie farm home at that time Mm -hmm. would have uh, and it was actually her that gave me a tarot deck when I lived with them for my birthday present.
0: Um, so. What, what age were you when you uh, got that?
1: 14. Uh, and it was the Alistair Crowley deck. I know Americans say cr- Crowley. Crowley. <laughs> um, we say Crowley. <laughs> But uh, she had come from a village in England, even though this was here in Canada. She was my foster mother. But she was English originally, and she came from a village called Lewis. And apparently, Alistair Crowley lived in that village. Oh. And she, as a young girl, would head over towards his house. So I'm sure that... So she knew him? So she said. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I got the the, <laughs> the Crowley deck <laughs> And I loved it right? uh, And strangely Even though I have created Two Tarot decks since Of my own On the rare occasion that my brain Wants to talk to me And use the Tarot It'll use Alistair Crowley images <laughs> Or Frida Harris was the artist's name Who did them Yeah So Anyway, so I was exposed to the taro there. So you know, when you look back on the track that your life takes, I don't know if I'd ever would have really investigated the taro much had she not given me a deck at that time. And then I went back to England to live with my grandparents. And I was hired by a design studio as a trainee. Um, There again, my grandfather, I was very lucky in that my grandfather, mm, he was wise and he was just, he was a real gentleman, you know, it was really, I'm so glad I had that time. Like he was always down the shed doing something, restoring something and he loved wood and he would carve and I would sit on a stool and he'd let me talk about things like nuclear weapons. (laughs) whatever was going on, <laughs> for hours. And he was so patient. And, but he had said to me, "Look, you know nobody's going to help you in life. You've got to make your own way. He said, and the, <laughs> this is true, but he said, the only thing you've got going for you is a marginal artistic talent, and you're going to have to make the most of it. And so he was the one who insisted I apply for this job the design studio and I was mortified because I had absolutely no training I had a couple of drawings poems that I'd written in school I was young as I say I mean I, I never got to f- finish school <laughs> um, but I was given that job as the design junior because none of the other designers in that studio could actually draw they were all creative but they couldn't actually draw. So that's why they hired me. So that's where I got my start, really, was doing graphic design. Um, and thank, thank heavens for my grandfather, because I really don't know what would have <laughs> become of me if he hadn't pushed that. And, um, and then eventually I came back to Canada, did graphic design, and some other jobs in between now and again. And then I reached a point
0: What what age were you when you came back to Canada the second time?
1: I think I was 18. Oh, okay. Maybe not quite 18. In that range. I remember I, I rented a place and I was concerned that they were going to ask me cuz I'm for my age an ID because I wasn't sure if that was even legal then. Like I was on my own young, mm-hmm. so um yeah, so, so then we fast forward a couple of years and I had this idea for marrying the Tarot and the Arthurian legend and I, I kind of rocked that idea for a couple of months and then I gave up my full-time design position to do this. And, of course, my pals thought I was just nuts. I didn't tell a lot of people because I knew there was going to be...
0: Backlash.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> and on so many levels. I mean, some took issue with the tarot. some, you know, make a living as an artist, all this kind of thing. Um, but I had a boyfriend at the time who, although I'm not sure he believed in the idea... Because I had offered to support us if he did something, and then he decided he didn't want to. When I said I want to do this book, he was on board. As I say, I don't think he really thought it was going to go anywhere, but he was like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you pay the bills, I'll pay the rent, we'll get through it. And that became uh, a bestseller for that publisher. So I had no advance because I was unknown. Uh, I did go to the local banks with my business proposals, even though I had a contract. Of course, they they didn't want to touch me. Nobody did. Um,
0: So you had a contract with the publisher?
1: I did. But because I was unknown, Mm -hmm. there was no advance. And in fact, that, that, well, it still happens. And advances are much smaller, I think, than people imagine. For the most part, I mean, it used to be an advance would be like three, $4,000. Mm-hmm. Not a lot. Eventually, when I came to do my second one, after having no advance and made it through by the skin of my teeth, um, then I did get a hefty advance. Um, normally, I don't talk about it, but, but to give people an idea, mm-hmm. right? uh, I went from no advance... To the next time I signed on for a similar project, um, I got seventy-five thousand, and I doubled that the morning of negotiation in my head because I really wasn't sure if I wanted to do this or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it, it all turned out well in the end, right? Um, but yeah, it was it was difficult early on. I didn't. I was careful whom I spoke to about it and which. You know, when you're working continuously, I didn't have a sleep schedule. I just worked till I dropped, got up, worked till I dropped, and I did that for three years, I think, because I did 78 paintings and then I wrote the book, got it all in. And I remember when I finished, I had $16 left in the bank and I had a vet bill for
2: $37. (laughs) Oh,
1: and the deck had come out and it had only sold for six weeks when they had the cutoff because you're paid twice a year as an author every oh, okay. six months. The cutoff came and I got a check for, I think it was like $2,500 mm-hmm. after six weeks sales, which which at that time was pretty good. So, and then it just kept climbing. Most books come out. They do well for maybe about six months and then the majority of them just kind of slide out of sight right they just drop off the graph but legend uh, the taro at that time just kept climbing and climbing and climbing and it did for about five years Wow! and then it got uh, numerous translations different languages German Spanish French no not French Hungarian Bulgarian all kinds of things so it set me up Really, that, that set my career. And then from there, fast forward a little, little bit, <laughs> um, I was asked to illustrate a classic book. It's called Le Morte Arthur. It was written by a knight named Sir Thomas Mallory in the 1400s. And it's all about King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. They're again bringing together all the different traditions. Um, this book is special in that it's considered the first English novel. I think it was the first book printed in Britain by Caxton Press. And it's been a tradition that every sort of 100 to 50 years, roughly, they would choose a new artist to do a new, new set of illustrations, new set of paintings for this book. And unlike some great books mallory had never been poorly illustrated right like if you take the bible for example it's had some great illustrations and it's had some really bad ones (laughs) mallory never been done badly so there was a lot of pressure um i was in my yeah (laughs) i was in my late 20s um and I had been working on Beowulf, the Viking saga, before that. So sometimes books in these projects are a bit like romance in that you give them your heart, and then project may be cancelled, but your heart's not ready f- for the next project, right? Um, so I was still kind of miserable about Beowulf when I was given Mallory. Um, but then the pressure set in <laughs> and there was actually, you know, some critics that learned that I was going to do it. And I was the first woman to be entrusted with a classic, with this classic at that time. And he was saying he didn't think I had the necessary testosterone thrust for the battle scenes and things like that. I <laughs> <laughs> came from a critic?
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, oh, yeah well, sometimes people, you, people
0: must be very protective, yes of, of of that sort of historical
1: oh yeah, like the <sighs> legacy yeah, and and when you think, okay, it's a London publisher originating publisher and then teamed with New York, um all men on that project, I think it was just maybe the last three weeks that I actually dealt with a woman. But there's the snobbery that goes with it, right, because, um, see, (laughs) the academic world, of course, Mallory holds a very special place. Uh, So you're getting... It's it's prestigious lineage (laughs) with this book, so you're getting lots of people wanting to get their names in there on everything from the typeface to... (laughs) who edited it and what year it. and 1967 <laughs> this change was made and, oh my lord <laughs> so so to have this young woman from the canadian prairies come first off <laughs> they, first off, some of them were surprised that it was even from canada right um but this this that one critic that was on about the testosterone thrust um I didn't say anything at the time because, of course, I hadn't finished. count can't count my chickens. I hadn't done it well yet. I couldn't really say anything. I was hoping to do it well. But, of course, if you live in Alberta, you've seen plenty of rodeos. Yes. And certainly on our farm, <laughs> it wasn't planned rodeos, but they're <laughs> breaking horses and dealing with pigs and all kinds of things going on. I'd seen plenty of dust fly <laughs> in my time, <laughs> and I knew horses well. Which, when it came to Mallory, I know that there were some artists that were eventually dropped because they couldn't paint horses. Right? The equestrian aspect of Mallory is really important, but also the Grail quest. Right, so you've got those visionary aspects, um, the romances the Enchantresses, things like that. Like it's, it's a wide world in Mallory. So I know they had about 10 or more of us in mind, one of which was a good friend of mine that I didn't know was in the running as well. Um, that was, yeah. But he was very gracious about it once, once it was announced that I would have it. Uh, and he went on to do... Well, he had he had illustrated Lord of the Rings centennial editions at that time, and then went on to work with the films as the vision, really, along with Peter Jackson and Richard Taylor um, and uh, and others. But he he was the lead, really, on that. It's his world when you look at the films. Um, so, so he did better in some ways. <laughs> than i did i mean i illustrated this classic which nowadays is kind of a hard sell because it's in old english um but it is a wealth it's a treasure of legend and well you think of merlin and morgan Le Fay, and then all the heroes within it too uh, it's got so many different branches to it that there's what everything grew out of Yes, absolutely. Like Lord of the Rings, in some ways, is a child of Lamont Arthur of Mallory, all sort of fantasy and even novels, really, because before Mallory, uh, things were more like they were either sagas, you know, poems, or chronicles, just dates and paragraph on what happened. Whereas Mallory was one of the first in English. To bring it all together right and try and tell it as one fluid story although in our modern era it's not a fluid story because some knight may die in one chapter and then he's alive again in the next right <laughs> that's why monty python had so much fun with <laughs> the holy grail <laughs> and believe me as someone who loves Mallory and you watch the Holy Grail. There are so many jokes underneath, right? That you know are, are only going to be picked up by say ten people on the planet, but still, they, it's just so they hilarious. They went deep with it. <laughs> they knew their stuff when they did it. Yeah, absolutely. So, anyway, so Mallory came out and and it did well uh, critically and with sales. Uh, so. Now I'm trying to think. One always has to breathe after Mallory. <laughs> <laughs>
0: just put it down and don't touch anything for a while.
1: Even now, I just have to, okay, just breathe for a minute. Because it is a huge book too. It's a heavy weight. It's weight. People say coffee table books. This is like the coffee table. Like there's so many times I've dragged it through airports <laughs> thinking, oh my God, you didn't want to be a lightweight, but really... You know, it had 36 paintings and an equal number of black and white drawings. And again, for those people that are aspiring uh, for something unusual, not taking the, beat, the, the beaten path, um, that kind of grit, that being able to shut the outside world out and just follow for lack of a better word, but that muse that has a hold on you, and, um, like being in a tractor beam. Um, what happened with Mallory was when I actually finished the paintings, 36 of them, and at that point, I did learn they were good, right? Like I didn't know because i have become blind to the work and I'd been working so hard. I think I'd had two days off in two years, um, but then I learned they were good. People were coming to visit other authors and artists had seen them and, and I was getting feedback.
0: Word started to spread.
1: Yes. Some from the universities and that came to visit me and that, and, and I started, so at that point I still had 64, no, not 64, 30 some, uh, black and white full-carpet illustrations to do, too. And then, at like four in the morning, I'm working away, and a fax comes through and says that the project has been cancelled. And I knew at that point, contractually, that meant that all the art that I had done actually belonged to the publishing house they could decide what fee i would be paid for that so if they said okay it's only worth 5000 right that's it that's it and i was later told it was the, it was just a figure i was given in new york on an evaluation but they put it at 500000 mm-hmm. <laughs> right for all of them um i to- i told my friend my confidant um fellow illustrator and he was shocked, too. And it took a while to seep in for him, and he called me back the next day, and, and he said, you know, Mallory, this is like a ocean liner going down. You're going to get pulled the undertow under, and you're going to drown. He said, get away from it. Just, just back up, get away from it, find something else to do. Wait a minute. And I can see his point, mm-hmm. uh, but I couldn't do that, right?
0: Um, how long had you been working on it at this point?
1: Two years, flat out, because each painting took about six weeks apiece, and then I had what I call stillborns yeah. paintings, not too many of them. But, um, but when that fax came through, I remember... Led Zeppelin was playing. I had my CDs going, and I remember I backed up against the wall, and again I just kind of slid down the wall. And I I remember the lyrics: "How does it feel, baby, when the river river runs dry?" And that's what it felt like. Like it's just my life force just knocked right out of me. Um, but anyway. <laughs> within a couple of days I decided no I was going to finish this Right, so for the next nine months however long it was I, there again I didn't tell friends because I couldn't risk people saying you got to stop Right, yeah, yeah. I couldn't risk it um, so I carried on I finished all those illustrations I actually did go to spend some time with my friend in New Zealand when they were working on Lord of the Rings and I did do some of the illustrations down there on on the sets I didn't work for the films I was doing Mallory <laughs> on the sets which was great because I must say even people like the armorers like the all different diverse groups of artistic people but I remember the armorers in particular loved the fact I was working on Mallory right anyway so then I had to do some pretty risky, <laughs> kind of outrageous things to bring this all to fruition, because the project was cancelled, the editor didn't want to see me, naturally, <laughs> in, in London. <laughs> the art director wasn't returning my phone calls, nothing. So, or
0: Ghosted. I,
1: that's right. <laughs> Big time. Oh, my time.
0: gosh.
1: So I took the originals. I went to London. I told my grandmother my plan. I was going up to London, and I was going to find my way, because the building had tight security at that time. Right? Um, I was going to get in there, and I was going to do, I was going to try and move with all the twists and turns of fate threw down that day to pull it off and my grandmother was just oh my god <laughs> she actually gave me a little little drink of brandy before I went <laughs> you're going to need this <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> she said this will settle your stomach <laughs> the nerves and the butterflies I went up to London I managed to get in the building because the art director let me in <laughs> They probably he probably got in trouble later <laughs> And I had the portfolio, and again, the editor didn't really want to talk to me, so I thought, I'm going to go to the photocopier, because that's like Central Station. Went to the photocopier with my portfolio case. Eventually, this man came along, and he said, can I help you?
0: (laughs) Was it security?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he didn't look to see if I had my little badge, actually. so I told him who I was I said I'm the illustrator of the latest Mallory and I've come from Canada and uh, I'd like to talk to some people I've finished the project I didn't I didn't remind him it has been cancelled yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he said oh he said okay you can just wait in here and he you know sort of shepherded me off to this room and it had a big boardroom table in there so I thought right on it Anna so I got all the paintings out and I put them all the way around the table (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't a round table (laughs) but it was they were there Lancelot everybody was there (laughs) and then he came back in and he looked surprised and then he looked over at the art and you know this was a sneaky thing too but you have to do what's what's
2: the necessary. day called
1: for right you've got to rise to the occasion so of all the illustrations when you look into the paintings you enter that world there's one exception and that is morgan Le Fay, the enchantress she actually looks out at the reader right i did that on purpose right? she's she's generating if you like this force <laughs> and i made sure she was the first one that he hit when he came in the room and he did to sort of sit down and in the chair and look at her And I thought, there we go, okay, okay. <laughs> Gotcha, she gotcha Everybody else, get in line, let's go. <laughs> and so he went and got the editor Who was hiding from me And then he asked in another editor From Oxford Who came in And I think there was about four of us All sitting around And this man, he said I call myself the enforcer because I did not look plused when he said this book will come out, right? Because I've been through the mill mm-hmm. for years. <laughs> and he said, "You know," he said, "I think we should be doing books with just your artwork." And, and I do remember saying, "Oh, I think it might be a bit premature for that." <laughs> and I was thinking because of the hell I'd been through with the yeah. right? And I didn't believe a thing they said. Um, And that's when he said, well, I'm the enforcer. Believe me, when I say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then he said, would you be willing to go to New York with me? If we can sell the Americans on this together, because this is a very expensive book to produce, right? Then we can make this happen, which is exactly what I have been pushing for for six months with the other editor that was hiding from me. If you let me go to New York with a team, right? Make a presentation so (laughs) so off i go now to new york i'm expecting this other team from london to meet me there then i get well i actually i didn't even get a message my i didn't hear from the team and so i called into london and they said oh didn't that hiding editor tell you uh that there's no team coming and I thought, oh
0: my lord. <laughs> That's a solo mission. <laughs> oh,
1: exactly. So I went down to the other publishing house of I think it was on Fifth Avenue or Park Avenue or something like that. And I was very lucky. This is one another one of those occasions where you hit all these roadblocks, but keep going. If you got something good, just hang in there because this receptionist I I told her who I was. I, she hadn't even seen the artwork, actually. But she knew I'd been left high and dry. And she said, I'll see what I can do. She said, I'll see if Lincoln, who was the president of that publishing house, can see you. Boom. Next day, she's got an appointment for me. Bless her heart. Oh, my goodness. So I was staying with friends because I couldn't afford I had a cheap publisher <laughs> I couldn't afford a hotel They were up partying all night Is what they were doing <laughs> I barely slept Went in the next morning My eyes felt like burning hot coals Went all the way up to the top floor To meet the president of the publishing house, once you entered his office, it was a totally different atmosphere. Everything was smooth and quiet. There was a grandfather clock and beautiful antique table, and he, and he was very graceful, kind of soul. You know, so I pulled out the art again, and and he, when I look back, he was just amused. That I was there on my own doing this, because he asked me a couple of times. And you're the artist? I said, yeah. You're the illustrator? Yeah, yeah. And then I go back to my book, right? Uh, and then I remember at one point he said, "How old are you?" I, don't know, I think I was like 29 or something. And then he took another long pause, and he said, "You're even younger than my son." And i go, like, yes, back to the book. <laughs> stay, stay focused. Stay yeah, focused.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, and bless him. You know, at the end, he says, yes, of course. He said, I'll put, we'll put in an order. Because the trouble was, being old English, a bit like Beowulf. Beowulf had been canceled on me before. Uh, sometimes the American market, which was the largest book buying market in the world, at that time probably still is um, if they don't think Americans are going to know what it is
0: not interested
1: there's there's trouble on the horizon right? because this book is thousand plus pages and, and the cost of printing all that artwork right it's just I can't imagine the investment that had to be made mm-hmm. to begin with because um, they certainly didn't spend it on a advance for me <laughs> 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 I got an advance, but it just covered the photography costs I had at the end for the artwork. If you can believe that. Anyway, so Mallory came out finally, and I just tell this story because, oh, I know some. Like they say that you know the dawn. Was the darkest moment before the dawn? Well, I think sometimes with some projects, you just keep going round and round on that, (laughs) on that wheel. (laughs) You'll have like eight false dawns. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh look, it's here again.
1: (laughs) But then you know, sometimes it it does triumph. But I couldn't let go, too. You know, there's part of me, a dog with a bone, and you've worked that hard, and I. I really did believe in the history and mythology and the beauty of that world. I'm not a great negotiator, but it's it's when it comes to my work for books like that, though, uh, I can do it because I just think of myself as an ambassadress mm-hmm. for whatever book, idea, art I'm representing at that time, and that gives me the strength right to pull through. And ask for what it needs and so forth. So, yeah. So I became known as the miracle <laughs> child amongst other artists and illustrators, musicians of that ilk. What, what um, was the
0: reaction back in London? Um, After pulling off this impossible mission.
1: Yeah. I, well, that editor, I didn't hear from him. <laughs> the one that was always hiding from me. Uh, and the man that was supposed to meet with the team, I can't remember what their excuse was. Um, I'd far rather work with North Americans most of the time. Or they'll do it like some Europeans, right? like as far as publishing goes. Like the German edition of of my first Torah deck. It's beautiful. Things like that. But... Um, I like the, uh, you know, can-do, more gutsy kind of attitude that, that you can find here sometimes. I mean, I say that, but some people are upset with me that I've not worked with a Canadian publishing no, right. house. Uh, I would, but quite frankly, it's, it's the American market. market and the American publishing houses that come to me. Right? or vice, vice versa. Um, I should say, too, I was lucky in that I had not, not people that helped me with my career because there's no way to actually predict that, right? You're just it's kind of like a farmer. You never know what storms are coming. Yeah. Right? You know, you just got to get in there. So there's no role models for that kind of thing. But I was lucky early on in that there was a musician, uh, rock star, musician, that I greatly admired, and um, he had taken an interest in my work. He'd seen it through some record companies, and he was just encouraging, right? And the fact that he took an interest, even though, you know, well, I did meet him in, in person when they toured and things like that, but he would occasionally phone and see what I was up to, what I was working on. And then there was a writer similar um, he'd written Arthurian. He was a scholar. Great name. Uh, and he had encouraged me, too. He, I had written to him, asking a question about something in one of his books and said how I admired the book, and I still love it to this day. It's just like entering the dark ages. It's the real thing. <laughs> it's great. Um, and he was encouraging. And then... The other illustrator artist um, that was my friend, is friend and confidant, um, that helped enormously when I was nineteen. When I, because I was nineteen, actually, when I gave up my regular job and took this dive, um, and I look back at that now, and I, I am so grateful for that because. As I say, they weren't mentors. They didn't. They didn't teach me, but just knowing they were expecting me to fulfill whatever they had envisioned, if they took the time to, or whatever, um, that helped. That really helped, and I still use that.
0: Held, held you accountable almost
1: exactly. And and I and it's like a litmus test. I still do that in the the rock star, for example. <laughs> Very particular. He is genius, right? Like he's the natural. I'm self-taught. He's self-taught. He doesn't even read music, right? Mm -hmm. But he's a wordsmith, and and most musicians you talk to, if you mention his name, they, oh, yeah. (laughs) He really is something special. So if I write a paragraph. Or I paint something that I know is not quite.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what would he think of this?
1: Exactly. When I have that moment and I think, oh, I could slide this through on the strength of everything else. And then and then I envision him looking <laughs> at it. No, mm. no, I can't. No. And same with a sentence. <laughs> Which is funny because you think I'd do that with the writer. But actually, no, it's, it's the musician that would be. Um, I mean, he was—he's very good to me. Was very good to me. I don't—I don't speak with him very often anymore. But, uh, yeah, he was, he was very realistic. <laughs> there would be no sugarcoating. I mean, people call him the headmaster, and there's a reason for that. Um, but it's good, you know. It makes makes you pick up your heels and, yeah. Anyway, talking of (laughs) musicians, because this is so much fun. Tool was recently in our city, played a concert, and uh, we're drinking some Tool wine type, Maynard's, from Maynard's Vineyard, and it's very nice, I must say. Uh, But I have a bit of a funny story to tell that's where my world collides. We have our mutual friend. <laughs> Can we use his name? Or <laughs> should we call him something else? <laughs> we'll call him Oliver. <laughs> this guy. This guy. Oh, he is special and he's he's just great as a friend. And uh he's been a friend of mine for about twenty-five years, I think, something like that. Wow. Yeah. He's he's younger than me. I I am in my mid fifties. If you're wondering when I'm, we're talking here, I'm actually.
0: Your birthday is tomorrow, is it not? Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not even sure how old I am because I think I'm fifty. I think I'm turning fifty-seven, but I could be wrong because I just kind of let it go.
0: Yeah. It doesn't doesn't matter.
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) So this friend of ours, love him dearly, musician too. This friend and I, for years, (laughs) have had the same conversation about unusual time signatures. (laughs) Because I used to dance flamenco. And so I love unusual timing. Right, and improvising and and all this sort of thing. So so our friend Oliver is a huge tool fan, massive tool fan. I once drove with him from Alberta to BC. I think it was like seven hours straight tool. I got out. A-
0: <laughs> it didn't give you a choice.
1: No, no choice. I got out the other end and I was staggering around. I didn't even have balance anymore. <laughs> And he never turned it down to speak. He'd just scream <laughs> over top of it. <laughs> <laughs> so it had this ongoing commentary of everything till for 20-some years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of reminds me of that. I saw a clip with this, a fellow who loves Rush, the Canadian band, in oh, yeah. his van. And his friends get in the van and they want to have a look at the music. And they say, this is all Rush. And he says, yes. Those are the rules. Rush all the time, <laughs> every time, no exceptions. <laughs> That's what it's like getting into our friend Oliver's car.
2: <laughs> anyway,
1: so a few months before Tool comes to our city to play, our friend sits me down and he wants me to watch uh, the drummer of Tool, Danny Carey, the drum cam for the song Numa, which I understand a little... <laughs> well over a million people have seen now
0: which is oh, yes.
1: which is amazing and I, and I did appreciate seeing it because I must admit as a dancer or, or rhythm I a layperson I don't know how much is backtrack backtracking what is being done at the yeah. time you know so to actually see him playing was thrilling actually and when you see anybody that good Oh, whatever they do.
0: Oh, it's always enthralling.
1: It is, yeah. It doesn't just doesn't matter what they do when they're that good. You you feel it, right? So, so we watched this, and I think I might have had to watch it a few times <laughs> with my
0: friend, I, I, as it, as it typically is with anyone. I'll show that video to people too. You go, have you seen this yet? <laughs> just,
1: uh, <laughs> and they'll forward and rewind and catch this. Yes, yeah, I got yeah. <laughs> anyway. It was thrilling, and, and I was thinking about time signatures. But a few weeks had passed, and it was still, there was something, it had touched a nerve, um, something sort of circling in the subconscious just below. I knew it was reminding me of something, and it took, a, as I say, about two weeks. And then finally, oh, when I had been working on Mallory, that classic book we just told the story on, I was so into it <laughs> when I was painting the Grail Quest. I was doing an illustration called Chapel Perilous, which is supposed to hold one of the secrets of the Grail. It's very mysterious. you Still can't quite figure it out. Anyway, so I've been on the scene for a while. I was watching the pigment of the watercolor settle in the paper, because that's generally how I work. I. I it's different approaches but one of them is to watch for something forming and tease it out of the tooth of the paper right you're following Mm -hmm. it's a bit like music you're following something else right painting chapel perilous painting the wall i was watching the pigment and i could swear that i could see angels like writhing angels like a battle scene really disturbing really poignant and true i've been working for a long time on my own <laughs> many hours but and i see things in paper but these were moving that's a different that's different from what i normally see right these figures seem to be moving and it really had a grip on me. And even though I had to push the illustration in a different direction to suit the text, this was like a, it's like distilled in the air, it's hanging around me. So I started doing these little margin drawings and little doodle paintings on the side to try and capture these images before they were gone, because I knew they were special and I didn't know what they had to do with. Anyway, so then when I finished Mallory, Those years later, the first thing I did was I got out these huge sheets of newsprint and just charcoal did these angels. And when I say angels, I mean not not fat little butterfly wing angels. I mean (laughs) (laughs) like angels, Paradise Lost kind of angels. You know that they're magnificent. They're just awe inspiring wingspan, right? And that right there wingspan that's when finally i understood why this this video with this drummer was moving me beyond the music which is that's a tough thing to say because they're actually neck and neck it's not a horse race but you know (laughs) from one art to the other it's the wingspan right because this particular drummer is He's massive. A, he is a big man. And, and, when, <laughs> <laughs> and when I He's watch, an impressive specimen. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: And when I watch, right, the, uh, and the aunts to me, that was the wingspan, and that was it. I thought, oh, my God, yes. He, he looks like my angels. Right? Mm. So I dug around, because I've moved back and forth across the Atlantic and all kinds of things. I dug around till I found these old newsprint drawings. And they're ragged. They're in tough shape, but they're still there. And I put them up and I thought, oh, my God, yes. So then I got on this Paradise Lost kick again. (laughs) One of these days, I'll have something to do with these angels. Um, Because I don't know if those out there have read it, but Paradise Lost thunders, like the imagery in it is just, Great for an artist and, and the reader. And the angels are warring in heaven. And to begin with, with the poem, they're kicked out of heaven. So it's the fall of the angels. And they fall for nine days. They're falling, falling, falling. And they've never experienced pain before. So they're confused, right? All these new things are happening in Lucifer's at the helm. Anyway, magnificent poem. It uh, gets kind of <laughs> gets kind of dragged down when you get with Adam and Eve. But anyway, <laughs> so so I do these angels, and then my friend Oliver, huge Tool fan, happens to come by, comes in the studio, and he sees I've got I've got like three little doodles of this drummer, Danny Carey, because I'm just getting in the groove. Of drawing him, right? I've got, I've got angels without features and things going on, but of course, Oliver is just drawn to these little doodles, and oh my God, he knows they ex- what they are
0: right away. Oh,
1: <laughs> and the excitement! I have never known him be that excited about. Anything I've drawn or painted before, (laughs) but he's just wound right up. (laughs) And so so I thought, okay, I'll—I just had to smile to myself. I thought I'll—I'll finish these because I'll show Oliver, you know, some weeks down the line or whatever.
0: He sent me a text of those pictures. (laughs) Oh, did he? What do you mean? And I was like, he, and he just sent me the picture with no context, <laughs> and I was like, what? Are, what am I supposed to? I think it was. From, it might have been a back pose or something from behind. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> actually
1: yeah, <laughs> I remember that.
0: He's like, do you know who it is? I was like, Jesus. Jesus, yeah. No. <laughs> Technically, yes. (laughs) (laughs) for him. Oh my
1: God. You know, because yeah, that back, yeah, the back scene, I don't know if I was trying to work in muscles for wings, because when you start to think about the amount of muscle an angel would have to have for wings, Mm. large enough to actually lift you. (laughs) Maybe that's why you didn't recognize (laughs) him. Could have been those wings. Um, But yeah, my friend was so excited. So I understood, of course, that now this is not not that my work has actually warranted this reaction. This is is glamour, the sheen of glamour, glamour in the old world, the way the Irish would use it, from Tool. (laughs) That's come over this drawing in his eyes. Although he was, Oliver, our friend, was upset to learn that when the movers came and they were so excited to see this drawing, they loved it. But Oliver was upset they didn't realize who it was, <laughs> who,
2: had, <laughs> who
1: sort of inspired it in a way. Because when I say I drew him, what I have to do is is I just watch for a while till his lines get into my system. Until mm-hmm. it gets into the bloodstream, I know a lot of people work with photographs or whatever, but photographs will what we call polar axing, they will they will distort that image. right So the best thing for me is if somebody is around all the time, a roommate or whatever, and I can use them because they' as models because their lines are in my head. and that's what I did with this drama was I just spent some time with some videos. And then started drawing him. So I finished that drawing (laughs) that my friend got so excited about. And that drawing fought me all the way because I broke all the rules. First off, I expounded, expounded, expanded on what was a doodle. So I hadn't thought out any composition, which is a bad thing to do. (laughs) I hadn't actually drawn or done anything for four years because I've been writing. <laughs> I told myself that I'd use this as kind of an exercise to expand because I'm self-taught. I've never really learned steps to do things, so I thought I'll use every pencil I have in the house and learn, learn where it should where it should be used and where not. Oh, this drawing! I crumbs. It even got somehow (laughs) a matchbox glued to it (laughs) because I hadn't cleared off my drawing board properly. (laughs) I was gluing another poster onto some foam core. So there are some scars in the paper (laughs) from the matchbox. There's some scars from the glue. There's some scars from... A piece of paper that was underneath it, and because it was a doodle, I wasn't using good quality paper. I just, I just was doodling, mm-hmm. so this paper can't really stand up to the work
2: that it's got on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, the, that's what's holding it back at the moment. <laughs>
1: and I know, I I'm loath to say these things because poor artists blames their tools, but really, this, I've. I've not had a drawing go through the wars like this one. <laughs> <laughs> but as of about three days ago, it's actually done, I think. So now we'll wait for Oliver <laughs> to come over and uh, see what the reaction is now. And as for this model, it's drummer, because he, he rather looks like my characters anyway, Um. This drawing I will use for the old Irish legend about King McCormick, who is a quasi-historical figure, pre-Dark Ages even. Um, But supposedly there was a tradition with the Irish, if there was a special child, a warrior child, a royal child, they would have a ceremony where they create um, a bond between a wolf and the child, because a wolf is a great babysitter right Mm
2: -hmm.
1: so that wolf would be a godparent to this figure so mccormick was said to have always had at least four four wolves with him at all times which makes a lovely image right because wolves are so senior and and so this drawing is actually um it is a dark age warrior king figure in torchlight Lots of black, because I had to use all those pencils in the back. <laughs> so it's torchlight uh, with two two wolves. So I'll, I'll find a use for it. And the insignia, which is kind of fun, I didn't think of it until I was drawing it, on his tunic for the night is based on early Celtic, Irish, Pictish designs. But this particular drummer always loves his jerseys, right? He plays for a particular team, or... Where, whatever stadium he's in so this is kind of neat because it's again just kind of a poetic crossroads because the warriors had their insignia um, Athenian warriors for the Irish and so he's he's got on his tunic like he normally does <laughs> with a signature <laughs> it's just set back in time And right now I'm having to do a new painting for the strength card for one of my tarot decks. And since, if you'll forgive the term, since this drummer, Danny Carey, is already in my system right now for drawing, it's like having a horse that's already saddled up, (laughs) ready
0: to go. (laughs) He's on deck. This is what it is.
1: Yeah. So I may end up, well figure look danny Carey like to begin with in the in the original card but yeah i'll re- i'll rely on his wingspan for this because <laughs> it's it's a boar hunt it's a full-on action kind of thing so i'll combine that cowboy steer wrestling <laughs> heavy metal drummer <laughs> welsh hero look and bring it all together <laughs> That's how this world works. (laughs) (laughs) I have all kinds of little pools I'll dip in. And the other thing that I was going to say is kind of neat. It wasn't until I started sketching out the uh, strength card for the tarot. When I was first shown that video, instructed to watch it with my friend, Oliver, the NUMA video, I noticed that the designs on the drums were actually designs from Alistair Crowley's uh, tarot deck. The borders and the face card, which is like a title page. So, I mean, maybe that title page actually came from somewhere else. I don't know. But certainly the borders and that. So it's back into the tarot. So it's come full circle.
0: Yeah. Kind
1: of neat. (laughs) Yeah. That's how our subconscious works. It's always finding these patterns in life and these little repeating patterns, and keep pulling tighter and tighter on them until they all come together.
0: Yeah. You, yeah. Once you expand your awareness, you find new routes. Yeah. That always seem to to lead home.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. And I know when when I had to sit down to watch this video. <laughs> I thought, how many tool things have I had to watch and dissect <laughs> with my friend before? I didn't realize.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was only audio up until that point.
1: <laughs> exactly, it was. It was only only audio. So, yeah, it was going to open another door. So, somewhere, I don't know who said this, but someone said, um, when you make r- real effort creatively, Uh, you can create a torrent of other streams right Mm -hmm. and i think certainly for me music has been huge in my life and and sometimes i'll paint things that look like the opposite i painted a like a cowboy prairie scene to sympathy with the devil (laughs) rolling stones sympathy with the devil or just because the devil's come up a couple times in this Paradise Lost, and that I should be careful. If people think I spend too much time with that. I don't. It's just that's
0: it's, that's the realm that you're involved yeah. in. Yeah,
1: it's just lit- literature is <laughs> full of it.
0: <laughs> I remember, at one point you told me you're like, I'm not a Satanist.
1: No, exactly, and 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 actually, I've been accused of that having done a tower deck, but only here in Canada, strangely. <laughs> No other nobody no other book signings or anything has it been that kind of trouble. But yeah, I don't believe in the devil, so no, I just love old, damp, magical heroic things. <laughs> I'm not a wishy washy kind of girl, I guess. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah anyways, it's good fun picking up these things I mean I've worked for wolves I mean wolves are with King McCormick here in this drawing <laughs> but I tried to help wolves uh, bring more humane treatment for wolves here in Canada and it was actually through devoting three years of my time doing that and I wrote a book um on the situation and things that that actually brought me some interesting artwork too, even though that was done totally out of just following my heart, because I asked myself before you're done on on this earth, Anna, what is it you really would like to accomplish? Because my grandmother had died and left me a little bit of money, and I thought it was to help animals, right, to to do something on that front. And because I lived in the middle of nowhere, when my dad wanted to be a cowboy, I knew wolves. <laughs> So, so that's what I went for. Um, but the wolf, that work, in volunteering and and doing that work for the wolf actually eventually led to some animal trainers in Hollywood, the ones who um, trained the wolves for Game of Thrones, and then they were working with John Wick, mm-hmm. the j- franchise for John Wick and had some ideas, and they knew of my work, my artwork, but they knew of me via the wolf work that I had done. And so I ended up doing some conceptual art for them, which was then passed on to uh, the John Wick people with different ideas, because, of course, John Wick, is of course, he gets away with what he does because he's doing it for dogs <laughs> absolutely <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so so yeah uh, and, and that's so why so he, think,
0: he resonates with so many people
1: exactly he can get away with the most outrageous oh, violence yeah. in that film because everyone yeah but it's for the dog yeah
0: because everyone, everyone would do the same thing if that happened to their dog
1: exactly thinking of podcasts there was actually a fella is was a previous Navy SEAL um and he talked on his podcast about He went, quote, John Wick It's now part of the popular culture Because somebody had shot his dog oof Terrible story But while he's on the phone On his cell phone He's chasing them going 140 some miles an hour Whatever it was And, and the is saying You have to slow down And he's saying No, I'm actually trained for this I'm a Navy SEAL <laughs> 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 and then, and then when you can, he finally meets up with the police to capture this guy, they just want to keep the Navy SEAL at Away a distance. From, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, John Wick, you can go John Wick. So you <laughs> can go John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, I, do, I don't think I've told you this story before. Too, it's kind of a fun one in a weird way. Um, with Keanu Reeves talking about how things cross I've never met Keanu Reeves but I I was this other artist friend of mine the one who was working on Lord of the Rings was too busy to finish a particular project and he called me up and he said Anna can you do it (laughs) Like, can you take over here so it was being like his little mini me to finish up this thing that was for a perfume in Los Angeles so I did it. I went to Los Angeles. I was supposed to be going on to New Zealand, but the perfume people, uh, the one lady, oh, we're running out of room. Nope, nope. Nope. She said to me, um, "She. It's <laughs> a long story, but I'm going to make it really short. Uh, she was a friend of Keanu Reeves. And she said, he would just love meeting you and seeing your work. And I, I, oh, thank you. I didn't know a lot about the blockbusters. I'd seen a couple of the Shakespearean things, but I hadn't seen Speed and things like that. Anyway, I didn't think any more of it. They picked me up the next day. I thought we were going to Malibu for a picnic, but they took me to Keanu Reeves' house to (laughs) introduce me and i am not a morning person i should say this <laughs> i am rarely up before two so the thought of trying to make conversation how awkward this might be right i'm i was grateful for my friend's faith <laughs> in me but anyway when we when we got there first off she said oh good his motorbike's there he's home and i thought oh god here we go and then uh went up to the door and actually his sister answered and he he wasn't home. So it's kind of odd though, that we ended up having a picnic across the boulevard (laughs) instead of going to Malibu. And then all these years later, I find myself once again drawing, drawing wolves, but then having to study his image these conceptual drawings as well. So yeah. But it's just a weird how some cuz I don't know many actors. Okay. Not my thing. Fair. <laughs> I like musicians and painters and writers. <laughs> actors are okay. <laughs> but they're not who they are. So <laughs> and love comedians absolutely. That um, when I was working for the wolves, we d- did a documentary, and it won the Genesis Award from the International Humane Society. And apparently, in the past, when they gave that award out, previous winners would give them out. And previous winners were Bill Mayer and John Stewart, Hello. the Daily show. show. Um, not Ricky Gervais, because he's not over here this the side of the Atlantic, but he does a lot for animals, so... Will Ferrell does a lot for dogs, I understand. So, yeah. I think comedians are special too, damn right. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was fantastic. Because... <laughs> Can
1: you imagine? Here's a nice little story, though.
0: We can stop recording if you want. No, that, oh, that's no?
1: fine for this, because it's kind of neat. Because up on the wall in my living room here, I don't actually have my own work. I have other people's around that. It's just better company. Because <laughs> my own work, I I know the troubles that went into it. So I have a, a large drawing that my friend uh, did of me in a dress uh, that he gave to me when i finished mallory it was it was i guess like a graduation present kind of thing a beautiful long blue dress which in the grail tradition the early traditions the grail was tended by nine maidens in these long blue dresses and it says that it was kindled by the breath of nine maidens the grail itself was dark blue rimmed with pearls and kindled by the breath of nine maidens which by the way that breath they actually mean inspiration the word translates to mean inspiration which I think is beautiful because it works for music, mantic powers art, everything, that's what the grail was early in the Celtic tradition so when he gave me this dress and I put it on and he said there he said the robes of your office right and I thought
2: oh yeah
1: grail maiden right the grail right. maiden and this is something i had forgotten when i was a child and then there was like this this it jumped forward in my mind and i and i, I said to my friend i said yeah i said and you know i'm the daughter of a templar cuz my father had been a knight's templar now i know there's i mean i can't explain i don't know i know the tradition that you know they they were well they were burned at the stake in the 1300s but it was said that a sm- small handful of them escaped to scotland and the netherlands and the my father is Scottish, and I know the great uncle that would have been the one to, for lack of a better word, indoctrinate him. Because I don't claim to know, mm-hmm. you know, anything beyond what's history for the Templars. But I, I understood it was supposed to be hereditary, right? Um, but Later, you know the the Knights Templar, their history got in woven in with the Grail quest and the idea that they had the cup from the Last Supper, right? The Christian idea of the Grail, not this cauldron that I was talking about before, the dark blue. That's an older version. So it was just in that moment. When I said that, and then there was just silence between the two of us. It was like the air compressed. It was like a... Puff. It was one of those poetic junctions or something, right? It was just, whoa. Like I had totally forgotten about that. And the only reason I knew he was a Templar was because after his death, I came across the white cape and red cross and thought he was in a play. And it was explained to me that, that no, he, he'd been a Templar. So, Daughter of a templar, the first to do the grail quest, was a really nice kind of poetic. <laughs> and yeah, that was the dress. So, the dress, um, there's a museum that collects all my correspondence and, and some of my early Ruffs and things like that. So I think the dress I will give to the museum, actually.
0: Add to the collection? Yeah,
1: because it's, it's, it's unusual. And when he did that drawing, it was actually, as I say, in, during Lord of the Rings. So I can tell you, I was the envy of everybody on the <laughs> set. And, and it took, oh, God, 12 CDs played, and I had to keep that position. That's how I, That's oh. how I timed it. Ouch. Ouch. Anyway, a nice story though that he would even think of that. That my friend would he think to get the dress and the blue and the gift, and then, and then, and I, I think at that point it wasn't even sure if it was going to be published. I think it was still in the air. So, yeah, sometimes some special things, powerful things, move through us, right? Yeah. You know, sometimes people say, you're powerful. I think, mm, no, not really. But sometimes powerful things can move through us. And that night, something was in the air. Yeah.
0: Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. I might see you out there. and have no idea who you are.